Hello and welcome to this live webinar on Mozambique's debt crisis, hosted by Zetamar News and Africa Research Institute. I'm Tom Bowker, editor of Zetamar News, and I'm joined today by a panel of four experts who can share their different perspectives on what we're calling a debt crisis, and I think that's fair. There have been a number of crisis points over the last year or so, including just last week when Mozambique defaulted on the very first payment on its very first sovereign euro bond. Today we'll be asking how did Mozambique get into the mess that it's in, and how might it get out of it? But first, a brief recap of that mess. In 2013, Mozambique's secret services struck a deal, or perhaps a series of deals, to buy a maritime security package, with some tuna fishing boats thrown in, from Lebanese shipbuilding group Privinvest. Though an initial $372 million was quoted, the deal grew to $2 billion as those involved realised that they could raise seemingly endless amounts of money on international capital markets and syndicated loan markets as long as those loans had sovereign guarantees. The money was borrowed by three state-owned companies in loans arranged by Credit Suisse and Russian bank VTB Capital. Two were kept secret, but one, Emetum, sold $850 million in bond notes on the capital markets in September 2013, ostensibly to fund a tuna fishing fleet. Within a year, however, Mozambique's government had admitted that the majority of that money was spent on defence. When repayments on that bond started coming due, Mozambique found itself unable to pay. Delays in offshore gas projects and falling commodity prices, as well as Emma Tum's failure to generate any significant revenue, let alone profit, meant the government's coffers were empty and in March 2016 it had to restructure the Ematum bond into a sovereign bond to be repaid only in 2023. It was during that process that one of the two secret loans, $622 million for Proindicus, was uncovered, leading the IMF to suspend its programme with Mozambique and international donors to withdraw budget support. A chastened Mozambique government was soon forced to admit that there was a third loan, $535 million for Mozambique Asset Management, or MAM. Since then, the situation has deteriorated even further, with the government admitting in October last year that it had no money to make payments on any of the three loans, even the sovereign bond it had sold to investors just seven months earlier. Moreover, a parliamentary commission in October 2016 found what many had long suspected, that the sovereign guarantees were granted in contravention of Mozambican law. An independent audit is being undertaken of the three deals by investigations firm Kroll, and the holders of Mozambique's sovereign bond are refusing to negotiate a restructure until that investigation is made public, and there is a new IMF programme in place. On the 18th of January, Mozambique missed the first coupon payment on the bond of $60 million, and as things stand, will be unable to pay the next $120 million pro indicus repayment on March 21st. Next, let me introduce the panel. I'm joined today by Anne Fruhauf, who leads Tinio Intelligence's political risk research on Southern Africa, with a particular focus on South Africa and Mozambique. She advises corporate and financial sector clients on political and policy change, including a number of investors in Mozambique's sovereign bond. Dr Roberto Tibana has more than 30 years' experience as an economist, of which the last 18 have been in macroeconomic and public finance management in sub-Saharan African countries, while working for the World Bank, IMF, OECD, UNDP, bilateral donor governments and other agencies. Now based in Maputo, Roberto is also a political activist and co-leader of a campaign to broaden participation in Mozambique's peace process. Dr Joseph Hanlon is a visiting senior fellow at the LSE and was correspondent for The Guardian and the BBC in Mozambique during the 1980s. He was policy advisor for the Jubilee 2000 campaign to cancel developing country debt, has written seven books on Mozambique, 
and is a respected authority on the concept of odious debt. Tariq Hamoudi is a partner at Bybrook Capital in London, an active investor in distressed and frontier sovereign credit markets. He started his career at Morgan Stanley in 2011, before, where he traded emer emerging markets credit before joining Bybrook. To start, I want to turn to you, Anne, and ask how did you first hear about the Mozambique Emetum bonds? And at what point did you realise there was something fishy about them, to use the cliché popular among all journalists writing about this matter? Sure. Um, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much, Tom. Um, the first company I actually heard about was not Amatum, it was ProIndicus, around about 2012. Um, and at the time, I heard that the government was trying to raise money for a maritime security project worth around $500 million. Um, I heard that there was some talk with ADBSA, the Development Bank of Southern Africa, which seemed to go nowhere, so it was never clear whether the project was going to uh, get off the ground. Um, then fast forward to September 2013, um, the Emetum uh, debt was placed, um, and it was really the first anyone had heard of it, including um, the IMF, which was very taken aback by this project. Um, from the very start, Emetum seemed uh, a fishy project, uh, uh, as you say, um, the entity barely seemed to exist when the money was raised, it was hastily assembled, it had no office, it had no operations, um, and the viability of it, you know, from the very start um, seemed to be in doubt because, uh, because quite frankly, you know, the, the sort of uh, tuna revenue uh, projected was, uh, was always questionable from the start. So it, was, it became clear pretty quickly that this was primarily an arms deal dressed up as a, as a tuna fishing enterprise. Um, and uh, in a way, the government admitted this uh, quite, uh, quite uh, quickly when it, uh, when it assumed direct responsibility of 500 million of the 850 million debt um, as defense expenditure. I think this was, uh, this was just a year later. So, um, uh, you know, I think from the very start, there were a million questions about this deal. Um, I think the only difference back then was that um, after the initial shock, the IMF um, was um, was willing to give Mozambique the benefit of the doubt. It had had been a um, a decent uh, pupil of the IMF for 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 more than a decade, um, uh, and uh, even though it was hardly the sort of public investment priority that um, you would. Um, that we would want to promote and um, the, the IMF initially was willing to consider the rationale for both sort of uh, some maritime ex uh, security expenditure and also the local uh, a local tuna fishing uh, fishing outfit. Um, investors at the time loved the debt because it was the only way to get exposure to a really hot market at the time, right? Um, so uh, it was very heady times for all involved. Um, and then really things started to deteriorate when in 2015, when rumors started to circulate of additional debt, which the government initially denied and which, as you, as you mentioned in the introduction, uh, was then confirmed in 2016. So then it became clear that Emma Toom hadn't been a kind of isolated accident that uh, could potentially be justified after the fact. Um, and potentially be made viable, it had, in fact, what we had had was a total debt free for all, um, driven by very big political needs, right, around the 2014 elections and a presidential succession, and driven by very, very big e economic expectations, which eff effectively uh, um, kind of brought the government to mortgage Mozambique's supposed windfall revenue way before it had materialized. I want to bring in Terry Camudi here. 
how did you become aware of your initial impression of what was being offered to the market? Yeah, I mean, look, <clears throat> typically there's, I think people were, were, were quite taken back on, on the actual issuers coming to market rather than it being a, a, uh, a sovereign issuer or being directly uh, issued by the Ministry of Finance itself. Uh, but look, I think, you know, you typically have uh, real money investors, uh, for example, who make, would have made up the large portion of, of guys who originally owned this bond who look they i think by by uh, being constrained by probably time and resources took it uh, uh for what it was worth as a as a sovereign bond uh, with with the um uh, with a watertight guarantee um you know i think investors themselves probably fitch would note it had, you know probably hadn't done their work on what uh on the entity that was actually issuing the bonds, uh, you know, and they, uh, you know, look for, for reasons of, I'm sure, disclosure, it was, it was probably tough to see what the amount of uh, entity or, or what the project actually was. But uh, uh, so I think that that probably is what, what uh, would caught people off the entire deal. Do you think also that um, in investing in the Emerton bond would have felt uh, there had also been Prendicus and MAM. Uh, Mozambique had been borrowing with, with sovereign guarantees at the same time. Well, there's 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 no question that that uh, that other investors uh, in the emerging market debt space would have known about those uh, Prendicus and MAM deals. Uh, because obviously Credit Suisse and VTB had syndicated out a lot of the risk. Um, as a matter of fact, there's actually quite a bit of cross-holding between the loans and the bonds. Um, you know, it's just probably the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, most bond players uh, typically uh, wouldn't see those types of, uh, of, of offers in the market when it comes to loans. It would probably be had a very targeted group of investors, um, but that's not to say. I mean, look, those those loans were obviously sold to um, some of the Portuguese banks, for example, which you know hold quite a bit, um, um, and quite a few uh, mainstream emerging market debt investors as well. Um, so, look, obviously, disclosure was 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 an issue, and you know the the actual. Uh, the the, uh, the banks that led the deal would obviously say, well, look, they were in the prospectus, you know, they were disclosed, uh, you know, whereas other investors would probably say, yeah, well, they weren't they weren't clear on the roadshow that these existed, um, but uh, of course they were they were noted in the uh, in the bond documents. Roberto, yes, let's ask your perspective um, from. Uh, as a Mozambican and, and within Mozambique, what was the the shock like when when people found out about these deals first? First, Emetum, and then a couple of years later, found out about uh, MAM and Proindicus, and, and what that's meant uh, in terms of the political environment in Mozambique. Well, I mean, it was a big shock uh, uh, in the typical Mozambican way, where things are. Uh, accommodated, you know, the once the IMF got in and worked with the government how to deal with that in terms of uh, uh, incorporating 
creating uh, those numbers in the budget, and then once the the, the parliament had accommodated that, things quite calmed down, and people sort of. Uh, said, okay, let's service this. And uh, there was a, a lot of explanation uh, uh, given uh, about why was uh, this debt contracted and so on. But the Proindicus and the mom story was a completely different story. And it took people back to Ematum and people started asking whether what, what they had heard about Ematum was the true story and this is the question that still people are asking uh, so that was quite a shock okay, so yeah. yeah no carry on Good. so there's still a level yeah. of shock about and, and and still questions being asked in Mozambique as to whether we know the full story yet but yes still questions are being asked where has this money gone what has it be, what has has it done? And uh, even now, when we are having all these big rains and uh, roads are being cut here and there, people are looking at these roads and say, but come on, uh, wait a minute. Uh, uh, we were told that most of these loans were for infrastructure coming back from the previous ones because there was a buildup of debt. Uh, even before uh, the, the, the Emma Tomb and Mom uh, people were beginning to ask. And the explanation was it's about infrastructure and these later ones it was about defense, it was about sovereignty. Are there. We, we don't seem to see the things having improved on the ground. So from shock to uh, asking questions, it's where we are now. And people saying, hang on, before we really accommodate this into our pockets, we need to know what is happening. I'm going to move on to the second question here, asking the, um, the impact that the crisis had on Mozambique's domestic economy and politics. Joseph Handlon, uh, you're um, a seasoned observer of Mozambique's political situation. Um, can you give us a give us an idea of um, the the importance of this of this scandal in the context of Mozambique's political uh, settlement? Well, I think it's important both politically and economically because politically it's such a huge amount of money. I mean, we're dealing with $2 billion in secret lending. I mean, from, by Mozambican standards, an astronomic amount of money. And I think that that triggered, of course, and has continued to trigger a political problem because effectively $2 billion has been has been borrowed without permission, without any of the procedures being followed. But of course that triggered an economic crisis. And the economic crisis has proved to be very serious because the IMF cut off its loan, the donors cut off budget support. That in turn has created a really desperate foreign exchange crisis which has led to a hundred percent devaluation. Now, the currency was always overvalued, so we've actually ended up with the Mozambican medical at about the right rate of exchange against the rand and against the dollar, because the Gabuza administration had been keeping the medical overvalued in order to allow poor people to import from South Africa. But I think just the mess that has been created and the total crisis in the economy because interest rates have now gone up, inflation has been very high, 
there's basically no money and no capital in the economy. It's not clear what's going to happen until there is a settlement. And I think any kind of settlement is going to be at least six months off. So this crisis is going to continue. Okay, well, let's um, let's take a look now at the um, the question of the debt restructure. So Mozambique uh, announced in October last year that left to pay these loans back. And so it's asking the holders of the three loan packages, Proindicus, MAM, and now, which used to be Emetim, uh, to restructure a pet between the bond bondholders are holding out for uh, for an investigation by Kroll to be completed. Um, but perhaps I'll go to Anne Fruhauf of Tinio Intelligence again first. Um, and what do you think the different parties are hoping for here? Let's maybe start with the government and its advisors, Lazard and White and Case. What's their plan A, do you think? Yeah, well, first of all, Tom, I think it's going to be an extremely uh, tough negotiation process. I think the government um, and its advisors need to secure a deal that um, really postpones the bulk of the debt repayments, um, like it did with the sovereign bond, well into the 2020s. Again, on the premise that uh, um, L&D uh, revenue will start flowing uh, by around that time, right? So it's going to be a very difficult, it's going to be a very, very tough negotiation, convincing creditors who've you know, been told for the longest time that there was this big windfall payment uh, around the corner, that this is really materializing, given that there's been all these delays around this, right? So I think the government is in a very, very tough position. Um, we have seen that their, their repayment capacity over the medium term up until at least 2020 is uh, close to non-existent. Um, it's out of the question that, um, that uh, MAM and Proindicus can be repaid at the, current, at the current rates, right? So we are talking about a very significant restructuring deal that we need to reach. Um, and uh, uh, and uh, it's it's increasingly difficult for me to envisage how that cannot um, uh, how that can avoid um, a haircut uh, a haircut for for the creditors, um, and of course um, the difficulty for the from the bondholders' perspective, from which I'm sure Tarek will t talk about as well, is that uh, you know bondholders have already participated in one reprofiling of the debt. Um, they are saying, well, why should we put in, be put in the same boat as the creditors of the uh, clearly illegal pro-indicus and mum debt? I mean, there's no uh, there's no distinction to be made between the legality of Emmatum, pro-indicus and mum, but I suppose it's because uh, Emmatum was replaced with a sovereign bond, which was sold in a in a more uh, perhaps above board way. Uh, that the bondholders there are asking for different treatment. Um, Tarek, uh, you at least have, have been a bondholder. Can you sympathise with the bondholders who who think that they should be treated differently, having already been through a restructure? Well, I think you you have to uh, consider that obviously some bondholders would have felt that they've already been through a restructuring, um, whereas on when their Imatum restructuring took place into a sovereign bond, it was you know done at uh, NPV neutral or NPV positive terms. So you know although there probably was cash flow relief on the in regards to the uh, the amortization schedule of the bond, uh, in reality obviously they you know they were restructured into 
um, an instrument with with a higher coupon, um, with uh, and you know would argue that they've gone up the capital structure, um, etc. So, I think different treatment is obviously is it's it's tough to see. Uh, but obviously the the advisors have been forthcoming that the that the, the guarantees are, um, are 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 legally binding. Um, you know, I think there's there'll be some wealth from the bondholders to, to try and call odious debt on the on the guarantees. Now, obviously, that needs to be called by the government itself, who would then, you know, it, be an admission of guilt on, on their on their part, and and you know, who knows what uh, international criminal action would be subject to on the back of that. So it's hard to see for Limo doing that. Uh, I, look, I also think. If you consider that the the, the, the guarantees um, and at least the advisors have been forthcoming that they they're um, you know, they're, they're they're all binding, uh, the, the mm. tough argument here is that actually the MAM and Prondicus loan are actually owed more upfront on MPV terms, with uh, given there's some, some big payments due. Um, so. I think you know. In the end, obviously, there'll be the advisors' intentions to restructure all three instruments, all three of the, the, the loans and bonds into into one bond or, or one one particular instrument. Um, but but, but uh, that that would be a base mm. case. For them. Um, okay, so you think most most likely that all all three facilities will be bundled together into a into a loan that might resemble exactly i think i think it's it's hard to see anything otherwise uh, i think that the, the hopes of of differential treatment uh, and particularly more favorable treatment to the bonds uh, isn't realistic uh, you know i think obviously it, again they the only claim that they that bondholders would really have would be an odious debt claim, which is a very long route through the courts, uh, through UK mm. courts. Uh, you know, I think it, it, it's hard to see a case other than, you know, usually state succession um, uh, or government succession where, where that could take place. Uh, I mean, look, if, if you wanted to envision a scenario where the bondholders actually held out for the government to change or for, you know, Renamo to suddenly suddenly have uh, take power and to call those debts odious, uh, then that would be a very very obviously um, long and complicated route, and you'd really just be chancing it um, that 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 type of, of government secession could happen. Okay, let's bring in Joe Hanlon here, who uh, I think is keen to talk about whether there's a case for odious debt. Agree with Tarek that. It can't really um, be called odious debt unless there's a change in government. Yes, and I think that's the reason that one tends to use the term illegitimate debt, which is a broader categorization. But I want to step back slightly and say that there is an argument against bundling the three loans, because the three loans are structured in different ways. Ematum was originally a Eurobond issue, which has been replaced by a sovereign bond. MAM and Proindicus are syndicated loans. And that means they have a different structure. Now, 
if we ignore yeah. Amatum for a moment and come back to Amatum later, we just look at MAM and Proindicus. What I'm seeing here in London as I talk to people in, 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 the, in the bond industry and so on, is that there's huge criticism of Credit Suisse and VTB because it is argued that they made the loan illegitimate by not either doing a, pro in, a, a due diligence or by ignoring the due diligence. Because any due diligence on this loan would have shown three things. First, it would have shown that the guarantee was unconstitutional and illegal, which is what the Parliamentary Commission has also found. Second, it would have shown that the feasibility studies were totally ridiculous. I mean, assuming that Mozambique would get five times as much of its tuna as the Seychelles, for instance, or assuming the fees that could be charged for shipping going through the channel. So that was ridiculous. And the third thing, which is much more important, is that the package of the three loans pushes Mozambique into debt unsustainability. Now, that means that they were selling loans which they should have known could not be repaid because Mozambique's total loan package was unsustainable. So what happens then is that Credit Suisse and VTB were saying to the people who were taking on parts of those loans that this was a repayable loan when it manifestly was not. So that the claim is largely against Credit Suisse and VTB and not against the Mozambican government. So what the Mozambican government simply needs to do is to say that they do not honor and do not acknowledge the loan guarantee. That would then have to go to arbitration in court in Britain, but the point would be that Mozambique would simply say, these are loans to private companies, they have nothing to do with us, you have to collect off the private companies. Manuel Chang had no right to make the guarantee he was acting ultra vires, that would probably be accepted by a London court. Now, Emetum is slightly more complicated, and it's interesting that the bondholders are looking at two different things here. Because this is now a sovereign bond that Mozambique government has issued, it has accepted liability for that debt. On the other hand, the original bonds, which were sold by Credit Suisse and VTB, were sold on the same false prospectus. So they do have a claim against Credit Suisse and VTB that those, that those banks led them astray. So all of the borrowers, whether they're bondholders or taking pieces of the Nam and Proindicus loan, have a case against Credit Suisse and VTB for misleading them. There is no chance that these loans could ever have been repaid, and it is obvious, it would have been obvious from any due diligence. So if Credit Suisse did a due diligence, he ignored it. So there is obviously a case against Credit Suisse, so Mozambique should treat these three loans differently. They should say, we simply do not acknowledge the guarantee, 
which was could not be made was manifestly illegal. Any due diligence would have shown it was illegal. And then they do need to renegotiate, I think, the Emetum bonds because these are sovereign bonds. So I think that the package is needed to be treated differently. But the importance of this is if Mozambique simply says they do not accept the $1.2 billion for MAM and Proindicus, that brings them much closer to debt sustainability. That then allows a serious opening of negotiations with the IMF. Now, the final point in all of this is both the donors and I believe the IMF are saying privately they do not want their aid money to be used to pay off these debts. So I think for Mozambique to refuse to accept the guarantee on MAM and Proindicus would almost surely be accepted by the donor community and by the IMF. And this would make it very difficult because Credit Suisse in turn does not want to go into open court to admit that they ignored their own due diligence and that they misled their own borrowers. So I think that for Mozambique, they want to treat the Maryland Proindicus debt separately and simply say they are not, they do not acknowledge the guarantee. Tarek's highlighted that the government's advisors are obviously saying they are valid. Joe is, Joe is saying that they're manifestly um, I think the biggest problem I see here is political, right? Because the government hasn't um, made much a move in that direction. Um, they might have a very good case. Um, they might have a very good case uh, to, um, as 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 Joe highlighted, um, to try and uh, to try and uh, um, refuse to accept liability for um, for loans that were. Uh, really um, granted uh, relatively recklessly, you could argue. Um, so the question is is political. I think um, the government has made taken, you know, I think the sort of the bare minimum steps to try and um, investigate the deals. But have they? I haven't seen any sign uh, that they are trying to make the case uh, for for odious debt or for illegitimate debt. Um, and I think it's because that would involve um, opening themselves up to uh, much greater um, investigations and potential liabilities and accountability around, um, you know, who was really responsible for um, not just signing the guarantees, um, but who are the broader beneficiaries. Um, and I think this is something that uh, I think, you know, the Selimo government has been very keen to avoid. So the question for me is, you know, will they accept a, a very heavy debt burden um, uh, primarily, uh, primarily because of um, the political um, dynamics um, at play in the in the former administration of Gabuza and uh, and under New C now. Roberto Tibana, what what do you see happening on the political scene here? Do you think there'll be any repercussions for the politicians uh, and others involved in taking out these loans on the government on the on the state's account? Well, uh, let me step back and take on Joe's argument, which sounds good argument, sounds solid, but it has a difficulty, and it's related to the question that you are asking me now. The premise, Joe's premise is that uh, there will be a deal to uh, sacrifice Shang, Manel Shang, the minister who signed the guarantees, and that that would be what the 
government would offer uh, to the creditors and to the IMF and to the donors and say, we have taken our measures, we have gotten hold of our rogue man, but we don't recognize this is in jail and uh, we don't recognize what he did. Uh, that's what, from what I understood. The difficulty with that is, uh, as Anne said, this is going to be a process. This is going to be a court process. It's going to have to answer questions. And there is the issue of, at the end of the day, from these monies. And that's going to open another big kind of worms. And I'm not sure whether they will be ready, even on the assumption that they will just offer as the sacrifice lamb. I, I think uh, the issue of treatment of these debts it's crucial because, as Anne said, I would think that creditors will have to take a, a haircut here. They, the, the, the current holders of these of these uh, credits and uh, and bonds would say, "Okay, we bought this from VTB and Credit Suisse," but they should have known. They should have done their due diligence as well as they were going to buy this stuff. And, and the primary, the primary uh, uh, issuers then have even a much, a much bigger responsibility due, due to failure of, uh, of, uh, of their due diligence. And there is a question as to whether it was pure mistake. I mean, we're dealing with big banks here, dealing with people who do this stuff every single day. I mean, how do you come to a country like the poorest country in the world and you just take up these loans and don't ask questions whether these people can pay, whether these people have been authorized to sign these papers or not. So they will have to take a haircut. And I think the issue of treatment, of differential treatment is probably out of question, particularly if you want to negotiate a haircut on Politically, it's going to be serious because some of the people in government right now, starting from the president, they were members of the that uh, issued all this, uh, all this thing. And uh, remember that the current president was the minister of defense. And so, so it's going to be very hard for any of them to say, well, we didn't know about this and wash hands on, 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 on and, and offer Shang because they were part of the government and they were not junior uh, ministers. They were senior ministers. So I can't see how that route can work. And I think it's going to be a serious, serious, this may drag down into, you know, uh, 2019 into the next election cycle, which is next, next year. I hear talk about Kroll having difficulties to move with this, probably having to ask an extension for these investigations. Probably it's going to be convenient for the government. Probably it's going to be convenient for the authorities for this to drag for another six months and so on. Remember, there is a political agenda in this country. This year is the year when Frelimo has slated its Congress for September. And this is going to be a decisive Congress. That's where they are going to decide whether this president is going to be their standard bearer for the next elections, or they said, this man doesn't work for us, and so they are going to opt for another man. How is the government going to deal with war situation that it's still not completely resolved, that they're still being investigated, we're not even at the point what happened and how it happened and where the monies are and so on. And then having to make a decision on a man who was part of all this process, both the war and the debts, and yet 
who has shown a performance that doesn't really look like a performance of a country like Mozambique, or president of a country like Mozambique. So it's going to be serious stuff politically, and I think it's open for another probably 12, 18 months. Are you saying that potentially Polino could uh, ditch President Nusi at the next elections in order to be able to make more of a case about illegitimate debt and to repudiate these guarantees? Could be. Could be. I'm not saying exactly it's going to happen, but it could be. I don't know what the options are there, but uh, it could turn around that. It could turn around that. Not only it could turn around ditching him or not, teaching him out or not, not only because of these debts, but also because of the other uh, developments. Being able to deliver peace. Joe, can you imagine that happening? I think... Choosing the door a second term? I think it's clear that this debt is going to have an impact on the elections. And I think Frilimo hasn't appreciated just how great the anger is out in the country. But I think that mm. one should back up a little bit and say, what would the legal process look like in London? And that will influence what Mozambique has to do itself. Now, the Kroll report, whatever they have trouble or not, will reveal a great deal about liabilities, responsibilities, some estimates of how much has been stolen. But the point is that if Mozambique refuses to honor the guarantees, at least on the MAM and the Proindicus debt, it would be likely to go to a trial or, or arbitration in London. Now, if it goes to a trial, Credit Suisse would be forced to present their due diligence reports that there would be an attempt in public to compare what Credit Suisse told its borrowers with what it knew. If it went to arbitration, all of that is kept secret. Now, what that would probably benefit both parties, because Mozambique could then go into this with any discussion of, of who stole the money, because it would be secret, and Credit Suisse would not have to show how much it had cheated its creditors, its borrowers. So the likelihood that this, if Mozambique refused to honor the guarantees, that this would lead to a closed arbitration process in London might suit all parties. And therefore, they would not be under nearly the pressure to prosecute people in Mozambique. And so I think that would be the way both sides would get around it. I think one should realize at least that the noise here in London is that people are really quite angry at Credit Suisse over this because they feel that Credit Suisse talking privately to people in, 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 in the industry, they are saying Credit Suisse totally misled its borrowers, totally misled the people who are taking the bonds and that they were dependent on the due diligence of Credit Suisse. So Credit Suisse is not, Credit Suisse is already in trouble for a whole string of other things, is not want, going to want its documentation to be out in public. The so wit will want to go for arbitration. Mozambique will want to go for arbitration so they don't wash their dirty linen in public. 
when both sides don't have clean hands, you're much better off with secret arbitration. And I think that's the way it would go. Could, could, could Credit Suisse keep, uh, keep things from its shareholders in terms of how much it was being asked of compensation? It could keep all the documentation from its shareholders. It would have to, there would be a settlement in the end, and that would be public. So they would have yeah. to say, okay, we have been forced to accept part of the liability for this. But the documentation, which would show their misconduct, would remain secret. Uh, just a reminder, if you're just joining us, you're listening to a live webinar on the 25th of January, or perhaps you're listening to a recording of the webinar uh, on Mozambique's debt crisis, brought to you by Zitamar News and Africa Research Institute. I'm Tom Bowker, editor of Zitamar News, and I'm joined by a four-strong panel, a senior vice president with Tinia Intelligence, Dr. Roberto Tibana, principal consultant at Analytica RJT in Maputo, Mozambique, Dr. Joseph Hanlon, visiting senior fellow at the London School of Economics, and Tariq Hamoudi, partner at Bybrook Capital in London. Um, I can see in the chat here on YouTube that there are some questions about Kroll's audit, uh, which is currently being undertaken and when it's due. Um, it's due at the end of February, as, uh, as Tim Jones here has, has answered. Certainly asked for a three-month month extension, which could take us to May. Now, Joe, you've you've also said, I think, that they'll probably look for a three-month extension. But that'll also mean a delay in getting the IMF program <clears throat> back in place, which could delay all sorts of things, including a final investment decision on on the gas projects. Do you think uh, do you think there's going to be an extension there, there Joe, or is that putting things back too well, far? When I was when I was last in Maputo and talking to people about that, everyone expected a final, everybody expected a three-month extension. I mean, one of the problems is that all of the money on these loans appears to have gone directly to Privinvest in Abu Dhabi and not gone to the three private companies in Mozambique, which is very unusual. That's also part of the due diligence issue because Credit Suisse, you would have thought, would have done a, a due diligence on Privinvest, which would raise some questions. But the point is then that the documentation on what, what the money was used for is held by Privinvest, and they are unlikely to cooperate with Kroll. So it means unpacking what documentation the three private companies themselves have. I think that is much more like is likely to be much more complicated and would require the cooperation of the security services in Mozambique, which own those three companies. And I think that at least even in, in with the best of cooperation will take more time because you're trying to unpick from secondary sources what this money is being used for. And we know some of the money is being used to pay commissions and we and some of it's all quite vague. So trying to, to pin together what the money was used for, I think, is not straightforward. So yes, I think okay. there will be another Yes, I think it will therefore be late in the year before there's any settlement with the IMF. As Joe was just saying, a lot of the documentation's held outside of Mozambique. But uh, Glenn Flint has asked um, whether SEC officials are undertaking inquiries in Mozambique and, and outside regarding uh, this investigation and, and equally uh, whether any of this uh, documentation will, 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 will come out 
And similarly, Tim Jones has asked whether the Financial Conduct Authority uh, is, is going to have access to the same information. Yeah, I mean, we know the SEC is doing investigation. They have asked for copies of all the documents that were provided to the Emma Tomb bond purchasers in the first instance. So they will want to compare that to what we know about the um, about the loans actually. And so that will link to the feasibility studies and some of the others. We don't know what the Financial Conduct Authority here in London is doing. It doesn't seem to be a high priority for them. It's also not an uh, area that- Tarek has an idea. If Tarek, have you uh, been contacted by the FCA? Are you, are you able to tell us? If there's, if you know, if there's an ongoing investigation. No, some some of the bondholders have actually uh, sold us the fact that there's there there has been the SEC investigation that is launched. And I think they're, you know, hoping that they'll use that as their other arguments on, uh, you know, pursuing the illegitimate or, or odious debt rule. Uh, you know, irrespective of whether the government wants to. But we've uh, <coughs> heard next to to nothing. Uh, I think you know. Obviously, some of the some of the, the holders of the loan pursued both uh, or initiated proceedings against Credit Suisse BTB in, in London courts. I don't know how far that's gone uh, or where that stands at the moment. So there have been cases brought in London courts already about this. So 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 I'm told. I mean, they did that they at least uh, initiated proceedings. Okay, I didn't know that. Anne, have you heard anything about uh, cases already being brought? Uh, none of the details. Um, I know. I know that uh, there are some actions underway, um, but uh, as I said, I don't have the details. Um, I think the key question would be. I think the key question would be, uh, you know, how do all the investigations that are underway, how how do they come together, and do they reveal um, do they reveal anything meaningful? Um, I agree with Joe that it's, it'll be very difficult uh, to uh, get to the bottom and trace the money to its endpoints because, um, uh, especially because of the, uh, the role of Privindest that has received all the money. Um, so I think this, um, you know, to, to really get uh, to the bottom of the truth here, it will be, it will be quite a challenge. Perhaps on that note, is Nick, do you have any more uh, questions? Yeah, I have, I have one from a, a Mozambican journalist. Uh, he's wondering, you know, who individually or which groups masterminded this? Um, and this is a very contentious issue, obviously. Uh, but uh, is it clear to any of the panelists whether there was a lead on this, uh, be it, um, you know, within the, the last government, or whether there is a, someone from the financial community or in Privinvest who was driving this whole process? Uh, or were they all culpable to different degrees? Um, okay, there's an invitation to point the finger. Who wants to have a go? Well, I think from what we've, uh, well, what I've heard is that, uh, and I know much has been made about the Credit Suisse banker uh, who who was working with uh, Invest and in his candor Safi on the on this uh, particular deal, right? And it looks like. He, they organized it also um, in an advisory capability. It looks like out of a uh, out of a Swiss company, um, which it looks like it's recently been wound up or, or, or closed. So there's no question that uh, you know that that, that uh, I believe 
gentleman's name is uh okay. yes it's but the credit swiss banker is is andrew you'll know i think quite public andrew mears yes yes that's it yes Pierce. yeah so that that i mean the, the interesting thing, though, is when you speak to the even some of the advisors are sort of aren't aware of the depths of this. And, uh, you know, they don't really not aware that there was a Swiss company involved in organizing the, the loans, um, or, or or that these particular bankers were involved. From the from the parliamentary uh, inquiry commission here in Mozambique, which only interviewed uh, Mozambicans, from the testimony of the secret services, it seemed like they had gone out with a public, not a public tender, but a, a broad tender to a number of companies before they actually chose Privinvest. Um, so it's really difficult to unpick where this story even like uh, Privinvest and Credit Suisse entered the scene at around the same time, if not together. And perhaps what's your view on that? Um, I think it's very likely. Um, I'd like to say that I think at the Mozambican end, um, I am personally not convinced that uh, Manuel Chang was uh, was a sort of rogue mastermind that uh, that uh, authored this whole um, this whole debacle um, I've heard from many sources that uh, that he was uh, pushed to sign the guarantees um, and so I really think that um, certainly at the Mozambican and uh, you know you have to cast the net a lot wider Roberto, before we go yeah uh, I'll end up uh, I'll end by going back to the uh, earlier discussion about I mean, since now the government has put forward proposal for, you know, uh, renegotiating all this stuff, re uh, restructuring it, the question is going to be uh, for them to prove what is the limit of the pain passing. And that has to do with the kind of adjustment they are ready to make internally. And I think that's creating another difficulty in all this process because uh, it doesn't seem from what they did with the revised budget mid last year and the new budget, it doesn't seem that they're making enough adjustment to ensure uh, and to, 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 to assure the, the, the holders of this debt that really this government doesn't have enough capacity to pay. They've made all the sacrifices that they need to make and they can't pay. The second thing that has to do with is the role of the IMF editors are calling for is for the IMF to come and help to uh, design a program, look at the numbers, design a program, certify these accounts, we can certify these numbers from the fiscal uh, perspective, and we can say that we have seen, we can understand that this government cannot go beyond this, it doesn't have. So I think the assurance that the holders are wanting to have uh, is partly, you know, knowing more of the stuff through the results of the audit, but also by asking the IMF to move first is to make sure that they're not being cheated, that again, the IMF has come and they have certified this. Now, here again is the credibility of the fund because all this happened under the watch of the fund. So I think if the route is going to be restructuring, the government will have to do more to make sure that it's more transparent in its dealings, in, the, in its fiscal management, and that it has made an effort that doesn't seem from the current budget that it's making to create the capacity to repay and so in order to be able to solidly negotiate a haircut. Thank you very much. Joe, perhaps some closing thoughts from you on uh, realistically what's next for uh, for Mozambique and this, in this restructuring process. Well, I think there's an argument to be made that Mozambique shouldn't restructure at all. That I think 
there's an argument to be made that Mozambique shouldn't pay its private credit, commercial creditors at all. And if you look at this, the history of debt defaults, countries that default on the debt usually do better than countries that try to repay debt when they get into debt distress. And I think that that might at this point make more sense, although it would have short-term problems. I think a flat default on the commercial debt might work better by the time any settlement got negotiated five years from now, you would have you would have gas money that you might be able to use to reach some deal with the creditors. It's but not I going would to come in five years from now, Joe. It's going to come much, much later than that. Five years I from agree. now, the gas money is going to come. That's the probably gas money is going to come fifteen years or ten years from now. They might start pumping up gas in five years or seven years time from now. But real money for the government of Mozambique is not going to come. It's not going to come in ten years. I think that's that's a very that's a very good point, right? That I think the the, the there's a difference between first gas and and first royalties, right? Like even the money that goes <clears throat> the money that goes in from the majors, and the capex that goes in has to obviously be repaid first before there's royalties, right? So, the you know the first sign of royalties is probably you know obviously. Uh, the Lazard and their advisors have, have speculated that you know things will, will really improve and there'll be some payment capacity from 2021, 2022. I think even that is very ambitious, um, and, and, and obviously that will, will, will be important to consider as part of, of any settlement with creditors. I actually agree with you on that. I mean, in, in the end, I, guess, I think there's obviously a, a, a payment capacity issue. As much as a solvency issue. Just wanted to um, go to the issue of potentially gas warrants as a as a restructuring solution, um, Tarek. Uh, could you just explain how that might work and and whether or not it could be a, a reasonable solution in this in this uh, circumstance? Yeah, so I I think that's something that that I've heard floated around by um, by by some people close to um, you know the uh, the IMF. Um, World Bank, et cetera, is that um, that you could use or alleviate any haircut that investors would would receive um, with with gas warrants. Uh, now, that, that, that's uh, obviously those are very very difficult to value, um, and, and you know the timeliness of, of cash flows is, is very tough to gauge. Uh, but but look, it's it, it would obviously you know. Give investors the ability to sort of participate on the on the upside of, of any um, development of the gas fields. Um, sorry. What, what might a gas warrant look like? What, what? I don't want to get too formulaic, but but just as if you receive a you know a certain percentage or a share of, of, of some of the uh, some of the gas royalties that are paid, uh, or, or or perhaps a share of uh, of um, of the NH or the the, uh, the national energy company's profits, um, you know, from from 2022 onward or or so forth. Okay, so some mechanism to share uh, Mozambique's Ex gas riches when they do finally Ex start coming with, with exactly exactly. Um, you know, look, I think the other thing to point out is is there's been a lot made and, and a lot of comparisons made to. Um, Ivory Coast restructuring in in, uh, in 2011, 
Um, there, obviously, you had a you know quite a big coupon holiday. I think it was five or six years off the top of my head, and um, there was a twenty or a twenty-three year term out of the bonds. Um, so, look, that's obviously another another way to um, uh, to alleviate the, the near term cash flow pressure on 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 Mozambique and, and uh, you know one potential comparable transaction. Okay, well, this is a story which has clearly a long way still to run. Um, unlike this webinar, which I think it's probably time to draw to a close now. Um, my name is Tom Balker. I'm the editor of Zetamar News. And I'd like to thank you very much for joining us for this conversation. And particular thanks to the panel, Anne Fruhauf, Roberto Tabana, Joseph Hanlon, and Tariq Hamoudi. If you'd like to try Zetamar News, we can offer a free trial subscription to viewers of the webinar. Please email subscriptions at zetamar.com. For further updates, follow at Zetamar News and at Africa Research on Twitter. Thanks again to our panel uh, for giving up an hour of your time this afternoon. And thank you to you, the viewers, for watching and for your participation. Thanks very much. Goodbye. <laughs>